St. Louis can appreciate an August that's played like with its hair on fire. St. Louis can appreciate showing up at the postseason, not heaving over at the knee, grabbing your knees, sucking air because you're exhausted by what it took to get there, but saying we're going to come in with guys who are healthy and, 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 and sharpening the tip of this spear and, and we're going to come in to do damage. They can appreciate that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. Joined this week again, fresh from the Mizzou opener and back at Bush Stadium for Cubs cards all weekend. It's the great, the one and only, the Swiss Army knife of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch sports staff columnist Ben Fredrickson. My first time back since before the trade deadline, right? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, aged well, but not as well as Jordan Montgomery. So let's let's jump right into that. When last we spoke, the question on the podcast was whether or not the the front office would have kind of the the rise to the occasion moment after years of really just kind of either trying to get by or not making moves at all to to goose the team or address the issues of the roster. How different does it look now that they they made significant moves? Well, the I think it's been a, a, a trickle-up effect, as in they added two really solid starters, and it's made a big difference, and now it, it seems to have fanned out all across the team, and the team's going up, up, and up. Um, I thought like if they would have stopped with Quintana, it would have been kind of like a... And Stratton. Yeah. Stratton's actually been pretty good. It's kind of felt like a uh, deadline. And then it was, hmm, with Montgomery, right? Mm-hmm. And my theory, and we've gone back and forth about this, is like if Montgomery would have been on the market publicly more than he was, maybe he would have been viewed as even a bigger addition at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody really knew the Yankees were looking to move him. Everybody knew the Yankees were looking to upgrade, but it wasn't as if like they were broadcasting, yeah, we're going to upgrade and trade Montgomery, who'd been pretty solid, and now you could argue that that looks maybe silly with how their season has gone, how the rotation has had some injury issues, but the Cardinals, at least now, um, and at the time even, were very confident this is a guy who can start a postseason game, and he certainly looked like that here. Um, he's benefiting from being in the Central. He's benefiting from throwing to Yadier Molina, um, you know, using his fastball more. He looks looks like a guy who can who can help a team win when it matters most and you know they their the rotation has been solid it's not super sexy it's not super high strikeouts it's get the ball on the ground it's throw strikes it's don't don't walk guys this defense is good and it's really been the solidifying of a what has become a very solid team coming off of a a red hot august you can argue uh, that they're the hottest team in baseball since the trade deadline um, the numbers would would justify that. Are they the best team in baseball? No, but you don't have to be the best. Um, you have to be the hottest at the right time, and they have a chance to be entering the postseason if they keep this up in September. They have a chance to enter the playoffs as a team that is there to do damage, not a team that's happy to be there. And they're trending in that direction, and it, it's it's really kind of hard to find something to to beat up on them too much about right now. We can try. I'm sure we will. But but they I mean they look they look like a team that in August to me transformed from one that was you know one that one that can win this division and maybe hold off the Brewers to one that can make a case that hey we 
we're one of the hotter teams in the NL in a loaded National League entering this thing. Yeah, that's the one thing that is interesting about it, is you could be the fourth best team in the National League and be the fifth best team in baseball. Yeah, it might be, maybe the fourth. I mean, we'll see what's going on with the with the Yankees. Uh, the Astros. The Astros are very good. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the Cardinals, the Braves, the Mets, the Dodgers are right now the hottest teams. Um, and I, I think it's fair to say, okay, you know, are the Cardinals pound for pound in that category? Maybe just outside. But, again, when you can score runs like they have been with the lineups that they've been putting together, really leaning into the matchups, they can play defense well. It's strong, solid pitching. They've they've got to me. The question is the bullpen, and they but they've got help on the way. I mean, I don't. I mean, look around the league. Do you have other teams that are about to welcome back a a Jack Flaherty and a Stephen Matz in different capacities to a pitching staff? Probably not. Do we know yet, though, what those guys are going to be? I mean, th- there's certainly some optimism. Um, they like what they've seen from Matz. They're intrigued by what he can do in a relief role because they're going to bring him back as a reliever because there's just not time to have him build up arm strength as a starter. But, you know, Jack Flaherty is back for a mulligan, right? I mean, that's essentially what he's taking here. Do you know what you're going to get from him? And how do you how do you prepare for best but realize that you might have to also have an alternate? They kind of did that before the fact, right, by adding two starters. I mean, they, to me, they put themselves in a spot where anything Jack gives them is great. And if he doesn't, then they go with what they've got. Um, Matt's is – I mean, how do you know? I think he's had like six games as a reliever in his career. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they they keep talking about how much they, they love what they're seeing from him in these bullpen sessions. you got to think the velocity goes up there. And his strikeout rate is – is high that they think that I think they they think some of the numbers they're starting to see on Jack stuff are similar to what he did in 19, where it was like that wasn't that was that was Jack Flaherty pretending to be Bob Gibson, right? Like mm-hmm. so if that if that can happen, well then you've all of a sudden really changed the conversation. Is it fair to expect that? Probably not. Can you know that's coming? No, but but I think that that's kind of why they did what they did at the deadline to put themselves in a spot where that's a x-factor bonus walking through the door if it happens and it doesn't derail you if it doesn't um but if you want to be a a plate a postseason team that can you know go in there and go toe-to-toe with some of these guys then you you need one of those guys to be a factor here preferably both um and and i say that as i i think they're really kind of starting to get some better looks in their bullpen i think jojo romero can help them we'll Mm -hmm. see if he can continue um what Zach Thompson's doing is pretty impressive. He's kind of got this, at least for now, he's got this thing figured out. So maybe, you know, maybe Cabrera walks through that door and helps, or maybe, maybe he doesn't. I, I don't know. Maybe Hudson downshifts into a bullpen role. We've seen him be there, be good before. But I guess big picture, they've got options. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so many times we've sat here and talked about this team headed toward the playoffs, and a couple things stand out that are different to me. One, we've not been sitting around here at this point in the season talking about the playoffs yet because we were talking about what they do they got to get in. Yeah. And this is what we should be talking about with the Cardinals is what are they going to do in the playoffs now mm-hmm. because we know they're going to get in. And it hasn't been that way. So that's one difference that stands out to me. And then the other is you're talking about hard decisions you've got to make, but they're good ones. Okay, how do you, what do you do with, with Hudson? What's best for him if, if Flaherty comes back and, and shoves? 
Um, do you worry about, you know, maybe decreasing the role of one of the lefties who've pitched pretty well if Matz comes back and is getting strikeouts as a reliever? I mean, these are good things to, to have mm-hmm. to wrestle with yeah. versus who are they going to come up with or what are they going to do? Who do they have to replace this guy who's struggling? They've got these pieces now. It's about figuring out how to use them. So that, to me, stands out. They've got more options, got more guys coming online than leaving, Mm -hmm. and they're in a position now where they're starting to think about some of these things and also tinker with some of the what-ifs with time to spare because they've played their way into that spot, which is last year, you just think about last year, 17 consecutive games, a historic winning streak to get in Mm -hmm. and then immediately get shoved out. This This is starting to become something that feels different than that now you got to get to the postseason and prove that. But there's a difference between showing up and being happy to be there and showing up with an intent to do damage. And I I think August represented kind of a a shifting in those gears for this team. It's it's part of a question that goes back at least eight, nine years, right? So the Cardinals go to four consecutive NLCSs. They get to two World Series in that time. They win the first one of that trip 2011 go back in 13 lose to the red sox and then begin like a slow recede from the postseason until they're out of it for three years the question during that time was do you build a team to get to october and how do you build a team that's better for october and you see some clubs and maybe the yankees were a little guilty of that here at the trade deadline of going okay well how do you get better for October because the regular season's over. I think the Cardinals are in a spot in 2022 that is different because what they've done is they made trades to help the team win a division and they've looked at the returning guys as how to win in October. I think that's a really interesting kind of way to look at it where you make the trades for what you need to win a division and then you only count on guys like Flaherty or Mats or, you know, if you look at Yepes, you only count on those guys helping you in October. Whatever they give you during the regular season is gravy. But if you can get something from them as you near October and they can be counted on, then that radically changes how you look at the postseason. It's, it's kind of a refreshing thing. To look at it that way, if they are, um, it certainly made the trade deadline very proactive, especially with the Montgomery trade, um, and not kind of reactive, like just happen Lester to survive and then hope guys get hot. It does have this tiered look to the to their kind of moves, right? It's moves at the trade deadline, win the division, guys returning, change the look for October. It's kind of how... To me, this team has been not only built, but also managed. Right. Um, and one of the reasons I think the offense is doing what it's doing is because Ollie is very – he's just – he telegraphed that he's doing what he said he was going to do. And it was easy to talk about it in spring training, but now he's doing it. The, the lineup are a couple key cogs, and then who's the best for that matchup, and then who's hot. Mm-hmm. And, and then – the next day it can change and he managed with the idea that there will be a guy who's hot this week who will be cooling next week and someone else will be coming online and instead of like some managers would fight that fact Mm -hmm. ollie embraces it it's like he knows yeah like Corey dickerson is looking awesome right now 
but and he doesn't want Corey Dickerson to not play well two weeks from now. Right. But he also understands and he's like he's like willing to be like a honest person when he's like yeah if if that happens then i will play this guy then dylan carlson if he's hitting better we'll play yeah. more yeah and it's like this almost like this mind-altering thing for a guy who just admits that mm-hmm. and he's like i'm gonna manage with that in mind where i'm not going to take dylan carlson and like hide him in a locker and never use him ever and he has to rust and rot away. And then when I have to go back to him, he's like, you haven't used me ever. No, I'm going to give him some opportunities. I'm going to give him decreased opportunities. Mm-hmm. And it, But if he starts building his way out of it in those decreased opportunities, then I will change my – I will change what I'm doing if someone who's playing better than him right now recedes. Now, it's not going to take Paul Goldsmith, Nolan Arenado and put him out, but it's like it's this lineup construction that is getting the best production out of the overall team. Yeah. Which how many times have we sat around and talked about they've got all these pieces and how some of them are stuck in Memphis. You know, Yepes could have helped this team last year and he didn't get an, and did not get an at bat and they brought him to the wild card game to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's like that wasn't good roster management. That wasn't good use of his talents. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have to be an everyday guy. He's not now. Yeah. But he's helped this team. So how can you get more got better production out of more guys because one thing the Cardinals have still have better than anybody they got a lot of guys who can help it's just some can help more than others and some can't help every single day some can help for a part of the season and not the end Dakota Hudson has helped this team as much as people want to run him out of town but maybe he doesn't help in the postseason but yeah. he's helped them and and that Ollie's willingness to kind of it's almost like a uh like a pit crew, like he's constantly. Well, that was the description I gave of the dugout the other day. He's constantly yeah. like putting on like the yeah. pe- and, he, and he's not like taking a wheel off and saying you're no good to me ever. You're dead forever. Go away. <laughs> no, he's like I'm going to put you back on the shelf. We're going to air you up, yeah. and you're going to come back in. And like let's, and it, it's almost like you're. We're, I think we're kind of seeing a team kind of embrace it. Like mm-hmm. I think does Dylan Carlson want to play more? Hell yes, he does. If if you don't want to play more, you should. You're not in this league. But he's also like. Hey, I've had. I got to get better. I got to get. I got to get back. It's kind of like I got to. I got to get back in, and then I will be happy. But I'm not going to sour on what's going on here because I get it. And it gets back to what Ali talks about from day one. It's honesty and understanding where you stand. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of these guys are are cool with with those things. You might not like where it is, but you can't necessarily be mad about it. Kind of the same way with with what you said about the guys coming back. Like talking to Jack Flaherty. Is he disappointed about this season? Yes. Um, is he frustrated and tired of talking about rehab starts? Yes. Is he tired of making rehab starts? For sure. But does he also understand that, like how he ends this season could help this team win and then it ultimately comes to define his season? Yes. I, that's I, that's what I, I think we're seeing some. I think Ali deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, but, the, but the front office does too because they didn't put themselves in a spot where they were – you know, linking up all of these hopeful what ifs, yeah, they, like they do almost every preseason, entering like, the season, or like they have the in opposite. previous seasons. It was the opposite of what they did at spring when we were like, "This team needs a starter," mm-hmm. and it was like, "No, this, all these things are going to work." And then at the trade deadline, they finally went like, "No, we're going to get two starters." And then if all these other things work, then we're going to be damn good. Right. And it's like that's refreshing. So it's. It wasn't Juan Soto, but that's why I, you know it was it was a difference than what we'd seen in, in previous trade deadlines. It was just it was aggressive in Cardinals version, which 
compared to some other teams is not that it's not it's not that aggressive, but it didn't it didn't need to be. But they needed to be aggressive for the Cardinals, yeah. and I think we've seen them be aggressive for the Cardinals and how they've attacked the trade deadline, and also how they've managed the, the assets they have. I think there's some interesting parallels that you touched on there, as far as like you said, Dylan Carlson. He wants to play. Dylan Carlson is getting to work his way back in the lineup while staying in the majors, and yet one of the reasons why he's not in the lineup is because of the performance of Lars Newbar as Oliver Marmol laid out what he wanted the lineup to be from having Pujols from the right side, Lars and Dickerson from the left side because Lars and Dickerson have different swings that do different things. Dickerson against the low ball, Lars against the elevated fastball. But performance wasn't there to pull it off. So Lars went back to Memphis. He went back to AAA this year to fight his way, to hit his way back got promoted and still was kind of struggling but they gave him an assignment or he he asked for one essentially and then spent the entire all-star break hitting and he hasn't stopped since jake woodford he was told i mean it's been a frustrating year for yeah jake oh that i remember that guy yeah the guy who pitched so well in chicago the guy who pitched so well in cincinnati Like, really well in Cincinnati. And actually, they had the game where they could... You know, they've been been comparing and contrasting Dakota and Jake for the last few weeks here, right? Jake starts against the Cubs. Well, how does he do against that lineup? Oh, a few days later, Dakota starts against the Cubs. How does he do against that similar? And he pitched well, so he got to do it again. Goes out there against Cincinnati, struggles. Well, that same lineup's in there. Get Jake. Jake goes out there, just breezes through that same lineup they can contrast that so hudson has been doing in the majors what they asked woodford to not specifically the same thing but to go down and improve this is what the whole thing with woodford is it is somewhat maddening because he gets results and he was a big part of their 17 game winning streak it was a huge part of that um, he was kind of the lanyap, the one that boosted them by saying, I can I can get results here. But what they saw in him was someone who could get results one time through, two times through, maybe not against an opponent a couple times. And they're like, if you can get this slider, if you can go and do this and land your breaking ball for a strike and land your breaking ball for a chase, if you can do those two things, then we're going to stop seeing teams eliminate your breaking ball as something that they look for and just hunt that sinker because that's what's happening. They're just going after the sinker. And then if you can figure out a way to elevate the fastball, if you can do that more consistently, then you can get them off of the sinker from lifting it because they have to cover the up. And it's like you can do this and we'll give you time and innings to do it in Memphis. And that obviously is not thrilling. And then needs bounced him back and forth, whatever. But there's the there's these parallels there that like Dylan right now is in the majors, kind of having to do what Newt Bar did in midseason. Hudson is trying to search for ways to best use his pitches. I mean, he scrapped a pitch, went back to his slider. Does that sound familiar? It's a lot what Woodford was doing, and so. You can see how they have kind of not by design at all, but staggered the performance in a way that it's kept the team going, 
gave them an alternative for those spots, and they get the success out of it. But you also see how it can work for Dylan and it can work for Hudson because it worked for Newt Bar, which has unlocked this offense, he and Brendan Donovan, and it worked for Woodford, who now is part of the conversation for does he start, does he shadow Jack Flaherty, or does he have some kind of more prominent role? I think that Ollie is kind of learning on the fly how to toe the line between getting guys to do what he wants every guy to be able to do and getting guys to do what they can do. Right. And figuring out where to sit on, hey, maybe if that guy, if I had to create a player, that guy doesn't check my boxes, Mm -hmm. but he's still getting it done. Right. And and I think that that's also a sliding scale of like in spring training, it's different and you have a different approach with that guy versus when you need a guy who can get outs and a guy who's been there and done that. So it tough love is is something I've seen applied to him, and I think it's I think it's fair. But I also think he he he's malleable enough in, in how he thinks about the game to also to, he doesn't ignore results. Right. He might question them, but when as the body of evidence builds, he's not going to ignore that. And he's I, I like kind of like how he blends how he blends some of it because there have been times where he's talked about Woodford. And, and he's also just so blunt. I've had to learn this about him. There are times when he, you know, he'll he'll get frustrated with with Hudson for taking, you know, being measured on the mound. If his pitch clock, it, it's not a pitch clock; it's a sundial. If it's a day game, like it, there and there are times when Ollie just sounds like frust, so frustrated, and he is. But he's also like he's frustrated in that like a specific thing they talked about isn't working, and that's that. He's not frustrated like oh my god, I can't wait for Hudson to be out of this rotation. Right. Like, I've had to learn how to kind of like... He's frustrated he can't get it out of Hudson. Right. Like, it's a, it's also like a personal frustration. Right. And, it, and it's it's like, I think sometimes, because it's so blunt and so unfiltered, it comes across as like, oh my god, he, he Ollie can't wait till Hudson gets out of this rotation. That's not that's not no, the truth. No. And like, it's a matter of like, he wants he wants so badly for these guys to to do what he thinks he can help them do mm-hmm. and and you know I, I, that showed to me when he was talking about carp i was i was talking to him about matt carpenter and i was kind of like hey how do you guys examine what didn't work now that it is and he at first and it was a good conversation because at first he kind of blew me off um it was kind of like you know well it's too complicated to say that that's what happened here mm-hmm. and i said fair but you know when they brought Stratton in, for example, what did they say? We see something in him that yeah. we can look at what Montgomery flipped his fastballs. Fix. And I said you can't. I said hear me out here. I said you can't say that about guys you guys fix, and then deny it about something another team fixes with somebody you couldn't fix. Right. And he was like, okay, that's a fair point. And we got into it, and it was great conversation. And it and it boiled down to. You know, there are all kinds of things. They couldn't reach him. He was harder to reach than he needed to be. These are not groundbreaking things. And it, it was a change of scenery and, and Carpenter getting back to being open about what he was – some of the stuff he was doing, sometimes different – all that combination of stuff. It's not a Matt Carpenter story. The story is Ollie sitting there saying, my worst fear is that we can't 
get to a guy and help him do something that then maybe somebody else comes along that's not us and comes and does and unlocks. And I think he was being sincere there. I think yeah. he's really driven and motivated not by – he wants to win a World Series. He wants to do all these things for sure. But he also is really compelled to try to help guys reach whatever their high-water mark is. And he's really candid about knowing that guys have different ones, like more so than any manager that I've covered. I mean, Matheny was kind of like the idea, like any – it was just more of like – he didn't ever want to put a ceiling on a guy. Well, he's he was always best-case scenario. To a player. Right. And Schilt was different. You know, Schilt, Schilt didn't like to talk in those terms. But Ollie's a very realist. Like he knows there are guys whose who's career peak is going to be a guy who can help this team occasally. And he's not going to look at that guy down on him or look at him differently. Just then he's, then he's going to look at an all-star. But he's like, yeah, I'm going to expect different things from different guys because everybody's working with different tools and I'm going to we're going to have different roles for those guys. And his thing is like, let's get all of them at their best to then get the best team. Right. And that's kind of like that's how the Cardinals become their best is because they're never going to be a team that has you know, that has well, they got two. They got two best players this year, but they're never going to be the team that has every single best player. Right. But they can be a team with how they manage their rosters, how they care about their prospects, how they cultivate and want to draft them out. They can be a team that should be able to cram the most talent of all different kinds onto a team if if you're using it fully. I think he's really pushing them in that direction, and it's been fun to it's been fun to watch. Um, you know. He's not perfect. Um, they're not perfect, but I do feel like they're actually they've moved forward toward trying to kind of align what they say they want to do with actually doing it. Yeah. And that's hasn't always been the case around here. We've heard a lot in the past about roster flexibility, and then there isn't some. We hear a lot about different lineup every day, and then it's static. Mm-hmm. Or you know, compete to to earn your playing time, and then a guy goes off the edge and starts every day. And that that's not happening very much anymore. It's you're back from a zoo football opener against Louisiana Tech, so I'm going to use a football analogy and hope I pull it off. But I do think that there have been times where you've had a manager who takes an offensive lineman and says, "Well, I'm going to put him at running back today because I can." And then there have been times where the managers put an offensive lineman and say, "Well, he's going to stay at offensive lineman, but we're going to ask him to run the ball every so often." Ollie seems okay with the offensive lineman being an offensive lineman. Like, we need you to block for the guy who's going to score for us. We need you to make your fundamental block and not hold. And that that's cool. That's where you're at today. That's your that's what you can bring to this. And, Brendan, you know, just, just make your block, man, and then score from second when Nolan Arenado singles. We don't need you to hit home runs. And, Lars, it's great that you can hit home runs and you brought a spark and everything like that. But take your walks. Take your walks. Get on base. You're good. And then bat ninth tomorrow because there's a lefty. And look, man, we don't need you to do damage. Just take your walks. Spin the thing around. Just block. Block. Make your blocks. Get your assignments. As opposed to like, you know, well, today I'm putting the offensive lineman at wide receiver because I I think I like his upside there. I I, I think I can make him into a wide receiver. I hate to use this. This is like a really bad analogy, so I apologize in advance to anyone I offend. But like the best way to explain it is like 
sometimes the Cardinals have done this thing where a young guy shows promise and gets that that starts to get that lift off of whatever is in the water here that they give the rookies when they arrive, and it's like, okay. Now let's drown him. Let's dr- he's he's oh, yeah. taken an opportunity yeah, yeah. and ran with it. Now let's drown him in it's it. It's Icarus. It's it's, it's like, like oh this kid can fly. Oh too close to the sun. They they, they do Icarus the rookies. Yes. Yeah. Or the prospects every he's, so often they're like oh man these wings carry them higher. Oh these wings fly them faster. Oh it must be it, it's the laundry. It's going to be awesome. And then it's too close to the sun. I think he's helped manage that better. Um, and it's partly just been him being like, yeah, he's – how many times this season has he been like, yeah, we knew he wasn't going to do that all year. Like, we didn't expect him to. Yeah. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's – of course they didn't. But it's okay to actually – it's okay to actually admit that. And they are also – it's also okay to take them out of the spotlight a little bit. And then when they come back on, say, you're going back up. You're going back in. Um, he's just – he's just juggled it better. Um, and, and I think that – Team-wide, that creates a, a thing of not everyone has too much pressure on them. Guys understand, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's stock's going to be up one day and down the next, and you ride it out. And as long as the team is good, then it can be kind of different hero every night in in a collection with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, who, which Ollie tells those guys, yeah, you have to go out and be, you have to go out and be an MVP today. Yeah. <laughs> And one the expectation for those guys, and and other guys need to play like MVPs when the matchup is right, and other guys need to play like Albert Pujols needs to play like an MVP when the lefties on the mound. Yeah. Um, you know, Nolan and Paul, they just have to play like an MVP twenty four seven, which is a lot to ask of them, but they've been managing to pull it off. <laughs> You're right. I mean, it's interesting just to think about. All right, so in August, uh, they had. Four of the top five home run hitters, like they were like you know four of the top yeah, five totals. They hit fifty home runs in the month of August. Club record, right? The club record for August and the third most ever for any month. Um, only the third time in club history they've had fifty home runs in a month. One of them was last year during the seventeen game winning streak. That month they hit more than fifty home runs. Um, they had four guys who had among the f- top. Five most home runs. All right, so you had Goldschmidt, Arnado, and Albert Pujols, and then right there near whatever top five was Tyler O'Neill. You could argue that the Cardinals had five of the best offensive performers of the month in Arenado, who won the Player of the Month award, Goldschmidt, who just was Paul Goldschmidt. Apparently now that's like boring, so he doesn't win the the Player of the Month award. Or Albert Pujols, who had the highest slugging percentage at age 42 than he'd had in a single month. Um, and also was, like I think, among the leaders, if not the leader in OPS. And then Corey Dickerson, who, coming out of the break, went five weeks hitting better than 400. Um, oh, oh, and Brendan Donovan, yeah. who had a 400 OP, OBP for the month. So Lars was not... Lars has to be climbing toward that yeah. toward that group as well. So you probably say six. Yeah, that's performers in August. Okay, so that is a mixture of young hitters and veteran hitters, and it's also a group of hitters with Albert Pujols excluded and Dickerson excluded, who have been now in this program in with this team for more than a year. I'm going to ask this carefully. 
is this validation, not this month, but what they've seen from this offense, is it validation of what Jeff Albert has done, especially when you look at the contributions of the young hitters that have come up and have spent now the majority, if not all, of their pro career in the system that Jeff Albert was hired to design? I think Jeff Albert can only be mentioned when the team isn't hitting. That's the rule. Well, so that's I'm I'm breaking no, I, the rules. I, I, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The guy can't take arrows when the offense sucks and get no praise when it's when it's rocking and rolling. So yes, that he he gets praise for that. Um, and it's been interesting to me because one of the things I brought up over the course of the year and up until August, this was the case. Some of the things that looked really good, um, you know, uh, slugging, OPS, you know. Some of the home runs. Uh, you looked at some of the the numbers, like the just the the standard numbers we think about of evaluating offense, were not coupled with some of the things that the Cardinals themselves were pointing to as being really important: hard hit rate, mm-hmm. hard hit percentage, average exit velocity. They were trailing; those things were not matching up. Right. And then in August, if you look just at August, what where are the Cardinals? High hard hit rate high average exit velocity mm-hmm. um you know the that, which makes to me that's that makes me feel still better still among the strikeout rates low as i know it yeah, feels that way but, but they're very low no that the the strikeout rates are incredibly low and the amount of pitches that are swung out outside the strike zone which was pretty low before pretty low for the course of the season it, it this month has dropped dramatically even more in part because so, of individual guys like Tyler O'Neill and Lars Newpar story the team-wide story of what these guys are doing and now for the first time over this course of this month and I, I think it's been going on longer than that but it's really crystallized to me it seems like we're seeing an approach as a team and I think there have been times where that hasn't been clear and it hasn't been it certainly hasn't been followed through team-wide what I see is an offense and individuals within an offense that are doing a very good job of forcing pitchers to a place in the zone where they can do damage mm-hmm. and then jumping it. And it's different for each guy. And I think that is something that maybe wasn't there before. Brendan Donovan's damage is different than Albert's. Or maybe it takes time for it to... So it, whether it's whether it takes time or whether it's been... A combination of hey, Brendan Donovan's got a seven-degree launch angle, and it doesn't need to be higher. So, like, figuring out what guys need mm-hmm. what, and and the other thing that I think has become clear is for some guys it just might not work. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to work for Paul Leon. Maybe he's got another surge in him. I, I don't know, but he came back. He had to leave again. He gets right. He comes back. There's the surge, and then it's gone. Yeah, and it's like, you know, at this point, I, I, maybe certain guys can't can't figure it out for whatever but the guys who are and i think it's encouraging you've got guys who are different profile of hitters who are succeeding and Mm -hmm. that's that's one of the questions i had was you know if brendan donovan starts talking about how he needs to unlock his power like that's bad like no like brendan donovan doesn't need to change anything that's who he is he's He's the he's the guy who can spray the ball around and and use his his legs and you don't need him trying to hit home runs. You've got guys in this offense who can hit home runs. You've got guys in this offense who you want trying to hit home runs. Mm-hmm. I don't think you want him doing that. So I, I think that you've seen team wide approach, but also guys having an approach that is smart for their skills. And yeah, you give you give him credit. I, I think you give. 
Turner a lot of credit. Absolutely. I think some of the communication gaps that were there have been better. I think Albert has helped guys a lot. Albert, the other Albert, Albert Pujols has helped guys a lot. Yeah, I think the the addition of Turner Ward and Albert Pujols to the cage has been significant. And Albert Pujols' advocacy and compliments to Jeff Albert have also been pivotal, have been a big part of this. I think maybe, and we'll see, I, I would still say part of this is what happens in the postseason. Absolutely. Because the one one thing that has happened... They just is, haven't hit in October. They've just gotten unplugged yeah. by by good pitching that knows their weaknesses and exploits right. it. Yeah. And could that happen again? I'm going to need to see otherwise until we say for sure. Yeah. But I wonder if part of the things... It could come to pass in the end that, that the Cardinals bringing on Jeff Albert to overhaul their hitting was actually a really smart call, and the really bad call was naming him the hitting coach and not giving him some other name that did not put him, you know, in the dugout with the with the understanding of, yeah. of what a modern of what what a hitting coach is supposed to be. If they would have just said, "Hey, we're adding him to a role that we've made up a name for, and someone else is going to be," the, the, I wonder if that label alone was what. Maybe led to some of the some of the the baggage or frustration or whatever whatever it was they had to torture. or maybe it just took maybe it just took longer than they than they hoped and if that's the case and they they have it figured out then they're going to look smart for sticking with it it just uh, it seemed like it took longer than it it took well let's say it this way it took longer than most teams would have allowed yeah you know what I heard an interesting kind of I guess I'd say theory opinion on that is that. Other teams have done this as part of a rebuild. The Cardinals tried to do it while contending, and that what may that and I'm going to take that a leap further and say that they tried to do it at the major league level while guys were trying to win. And so, if you're a hitter, Matt Carpenter, Paul DeYoung, all these guys, and they're saying we're going to do this new approach. And you're like, well, this doesn't work immediately. I don't have time for right. this, man. I got six months to get my numbers, to get the win. I'm going to go back to what used to work. Oh, no, I can't go back to what – I'm stuck. I'm stuck in between. I'm stuck now with pressure to perform for a team that's expected to win. I don't have lab work, man. I got to go out there and, you know, I got to crack doubles. I got to go out there and do damage. I can't be here going like, "Hey, man, this is going to really pay off for you next year." If I don't hit now, I don't have next year. And so, the way the Cardinals tried to modernize coming out of the funk that they were in, where they just fell behind, they were behind. They still don't have a pitching lab. They they're just behind. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to try to reclaim our edge. The other teams who have done that, who have said we're going to modernize and reclaim our edge, are the Astros, who tanked, the Cubs, who didn't do it, the Dodgers, who are like the Death Star. They're just perfect. You know, they're, I mean, they're, they, well, I don't know, is the Death Star, yeah. I mean, they're in a gruesome way. Yeah, it is perfect, I suppose. You're the you would be the expert on that. Yeah, I mean they're yeah. I mean they have the money, they have the development, they got the creativity. They took all that Tampa Bay had, which they needed. And also, let's not remind. I mean, Tampa Bay 
built that out of you know out of struggles to be good and then transplanted to LA with bigger money you know they were they were the cool indie film that all of a sudden got blockbuster money and everyone's like well this is amazing you know so it, it just was the other teams who have done it have done it in a way that they weren't trying to contend at the same time or they're a behemoth and the Cardinals are not a behemoth and they're not a tank team so they they sometimes got stuck and I think we saw this they sometimes got stuck going scurrying back to what they were comfortable doing and that did that caused whatever frustration that caused whatever friction sometimes it led to success but a lot of times it just led for them it led to them being once again kind of just stuck in the middle they've spent so many years in the middle that maybe this trade deadline maybe this hitting is when it's actually like committed and they're not stuck in the middle anymore and this is closer to what they're gonna be they're interesting because sometimes the rollout of the things sometimes they make good decisions and don't roll them out well yeah (laughs) is that fair well but i think i wonder if it's because like this is a good decision for a team starting from scratch. This is a good decision for the Orioles. This is a good decision for like, you know, like, like the, the old joke, right? This is this is a good decision. This is how baseball needs to play. Look at the lineups that Ollie marches out there. This is, these are good decisions for how baseball is played today. But still, in Cincinnati, he's getting raked for not sacrifice bunting in extra innings. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, that's not the play in those. Everybody's saying, why didn't he sacrifice Bunt? Well, you know the outcome. He didn't know the outcome. He didn't know if he had to score seven runs to win or only one because the Reds get to bat still. You're, you know, and like one of the jokes was on a, on the recent road trip where they went out to Arizona and then Chicago and did so well was, you know, they had the home runs and they scored all the runs and everything like that. And one of the jokes was, well, will people finally like us or do we need to do some more hit and runs? Like this isn't, a, you know, we're, we're, we're mashing, but is that enough for St. Louis or do we need to steal some more bases? I mean, so in a way, like you talk about, like they might have good ideas, but they're not well received because of the ongoing pressure to not just contend, but maybe contend in this way. Well, winning cures all. So, so they're starting to do that. Yeah, when you're when you're doing different and you're not winning, you're well, right. then people don't like different. Right. Um, I will not to not completely flip flop on some. Run back to what worked. To not which is makes my flip, point about the hitters. To not completely flip flop on my point, having multiple seasons where. You publicly acknowledged your your hitting coach was having communications issues with players. That's not good. No. So, like I said, rollout sometimes sometimes can be uh, part of the the problem. But yeah, the best way to get people on board with things that look different is to do them successfully, um, or to start from rock bottom, which they never got well, to. They're never going to do that either. Right. But that's my point. Is like they were that that is one way. To say, well, we need to do a new, fresh approach is to be at zero, right? Because then people are like, well, gosh, it's only up from here, as opposed to what they tried, which is just, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if that's what we're seeing. I don't know. But I, I thought that was an interesting like, kind of way to look at it, where you had all this pressure to perform, and meanwhile, you had all this pressure to change, 
and it's like, well, been winning. Why change? Well, because Jake Woodford. Why change? You get. I'm getting results with the way I've been pitching. Well, we don't think that's sustainable. So if you go and improve this, it's going to make you that much better when you get back. Well, but I'm having success. Right, okay, but we don't need just success. We need sustained success. Cardinals were in that same kind of spot where they're like, well, it's working. We don't. Why do we change? It's working. We're, we're contending. We're winning. Yeah, but it's not sustainable. It's going to catch up with us. And maybe they are now on the other side of that curve. I mean, the manager before... Or slider. Yeah, the manager before one of these games talked about picking which defenders to play based off of the pitcher's profile and then how he adjusts which side of the infield he makes decisions on based off of right-handed and left-handed hitters and then and then said not and then referenced not what they do against those right-handed and left-handed hitters but what those right-handed and left-handed hitters are projected projected stats against that pitcher mm. and I'm sitting there going I'm following all this right I'm tracking up and I'm agreeing and I'm going man this is a different conversation than than what than what has been happening around here and 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 it's our job in some ways to try to explain you know people have questions why they do that and it's our job to say well here's why and you can agree or disagree but this is what they were citing and and i i think ollie's done a good job of being like there's why we here's why we did it now he doesn't you know he thinks he made the right call or else he wouldn't have made it but he's okay with saying x y and z were in our favor here these were the things we didn't know Mm -hmm. these this is the bet we took and it did or did not work. And he's also at times, which I appreciate, said, this is the bet we took. It worked, and it, we should have taken it, and yeah. here's why. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think, even if it's new language or new theories, St. Louis can appreciate that. And that maybe is what ties us together. St. Louis can appreciate winning baseball. St. Louis can appreciate an August that's played like with its hair on fire. St. Louis can appreciate showing up at the postseason, not – heaving over at the knee, grabbing your knees, sucking air because you're exhausted by what it took to get there, but saying, we're going to come in with guys who are healthy and, 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 and sharpening the tip of this spear. We're going to come in having rested potentially some key guys down the stretch because we had the division clinched, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to come in to do damage. They can appreciate that. And they can also appreciate a guy who lays it out there and says, here's my reason, take it or leave it. But you know, And also, they can appreciate a guy who said, I made the wrong call and here's why. So whether you're talking about projected stats, righty-lefty splits, those are things that St. Louis can get on board with, and uh, you know, you package it up with with uh, some wins in the postseason, and this will be a, a pretty good, pretty good transition here. I think they also like. If they go there and flop, then well, then let's blame the hitting coach. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, but no, my point but there's is some truth like, to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no, like no, it, no. that is a fair thing. Like I they, think it is. Yeah, I think it's got, absolutely fair. Like the Nationals. In the NLCS in 19... The advanced scouts worked them they, over. They, they got... School. They, and they embarrassed them. They did. And that... that some people... That was preparation. That, but that was execution. That. that was that was a concert of advanced and they, and scouting. And about it in a book. Yeah. Oh, Buzz, they would tell anybody. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can read it. Like, it was... They, they took their heart out, put it in the paper bag, handed it back to them, and then wrote a tell-all book. <laughs> like, so, okay, that was the last trip to the NLCS. And I think standards are still pretty high around here. I don't think that's changed. So 
if they go bonkers and hit like this, if they hit like August in, in October, then then it'll be time well, to... They, if they even hit like August light. Hit well enough to win in October. Right. Yeah, that's right. If anybody... There are still people listening to this. One of the things that will... That was a Dumb and Dumber reference, by the way. The heart... Pulling the heart out, paper bag, wrap it up. Yeah, bloody, it. put it back, in the back. One of the best movie of all time. I got a Die Hard reference in the game in a gamer the other yeah. day. Did you see that? No, that's okay. I got a ZZ Top reference in a football column. You didn't notice that? Oh, I'm disappointed in myself. Oh man, is it? A, did you make a reference to Under Pressure? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I You don't have to edit that. I do have to edit that. Oh, sorry. Um, you mentioned the conversation with the manager before where he's talking about, like, against this pitcher, we expect a 60% projected ground ball rate to the right side of the infield. Against this guy, it flips the other way. They're going to put a lot of left-handed batters in the lineup against him. That means that, you know, we project that 40% of the ground balls go to this side, which is why we want to put DeYoung in there because he's the better fielder than we have DeYoung and Tommy Edmond in the field, and we feel that's a better defense because this is what we're projected to get when they go with this lineup against this pitcher, and that's the decision I'm making. I think people who have listened this long into the podcast, there's one other element of what St. Louis appreciates. It's one of my favorite things about covering baseball here people like talking baseball people have listened this long into the podcast they like hearing conversations about baseball and one thing that marmol has really brought back to the manager's interactions with fans and with the media is a willingness to talk baseball to explain he the other day he goes i could go on for like you guys want to talk i could go on for this for hours talking about relievers and there is a really strong cross-section of the fan base that would go, cool, let's do this. I got a six-pack, you know, of of water. Six-pack of seltzer water. But I got a six-pack, you know, we'll, we'll, we can do this. Let's talk about it. Now, I'm sure, I'm not sure how many fans saw it, but his anguish of not getting Albert Pujols in the last game at Wrigley Field or his comments about, I want to play him. I want to get him to 700. The fact that, like, you go in and you ask him, like, hey, are you thinking about putting Albert in this lineup? And he doesn't give you coach speak of saying, like, well, the matchups aren't there. Well, you know, he'll have his time. He goes, look, I want this too. I have to win today, but I want to find a way to get, let me find a way to get 700 while also winning. I think that kind of thing because of Zoom and because of the relationship and because of how willing a manager was to talk or the tone the manager wanted to take with the media or the fans or what the manager thought the fans had a right to know. I, I think that is also refreshing here. Yeah, I think I think Shilty would, would play ball on that. It's Zoom. He was, we, right. Yeah, but it was we, such we a tough Schilte time. Pre-Zoom, though. Um, it wasn't all Zoom. But I, it was. It was just a more. It's more casual with Ollie, and I don't know if that's him being being young. Personality. I also feel like, and I, I don't mean this as like a negative towards Schilt at all. I like Schilt a lot. I didn't think the Cardinals should have fired him, and that's not to say that Ollie hasn't done a great job. I thought the way it went down was was bad. We've written about it. We talked about it a lot. Um, it was always for him more of like I don't want to like sound like I'm being you know anti Matheny. Matheny would be defensive. Schilt would say, "Yeah, I'll, I want to talk baseball, but like if if it got trended toward 
pushing on some of the decisions he would make. He would, in the, as most managers, he would start to get a little mm-hmm. his hackles would get up a little bit because it was like, well, no, I'm, I'm right. And let me, Ali is like, huh, fair question, or huh, here's why you're here's why I think and it's yeah. not like here's why you're wrong, go to hell. It's like here's why here's why I disagree. Yeah, and I'm gonna, and it, it's not like we're it's not like hey buddy old pal come over and I'll it's like hey you're wrong and here's why but it's not it's not personal no and he I he's told me this and and you know this like he has two conversations a day about the game the previous day's game two meetings one is with the numbers guys the analytics guys the Mm -hmm. the quants or whatever you want to call them and one is with the been there done that guys the the I won't say old school I think that's like a negative coaches the the coaches yeah and he's asked them to say come with Things I did wrong come with things you would have done differently. Come with questions. Come with mm-hmm. come with things we should have done or things you like. like. He doesn't want to be praised in those meetings. He wants people to say, "Why do we do that?" or "Can we rethink how yeah. we did that?" or "What about this?" or and he'll he does both meetings. He doesn't prioritize one over the other, and he just genuinely likes examining decisions he made that worked or didn't work and why, yeah. and getting into those discussions. And, and I think that his willingness to ex- we, we all know every manager has those conversations. That's part of the job. Mm-hmm. His willingness to kind of just bring you in and turn a light on them, that's, it's, it's, it's refreshing. Um, it's, it's been informative to me. I've learned a lot about what goes into a manager's job, talking to him about that stuff. And, and I'm, it's nice to be able to do it, but he's having the same conversations with pretty much anybody who, yeah. who asks. Um, and, and I think that's been really that's been really helpful. Like he's not perfect. He gets pissed when people don't like what he does, and he thinks he did the right thing. Um, but that's anybody in any any line of work. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to get pissed and say, "How dare they question me?" Yeah, he's saying, "I question myself all the time." Yeah, and like yeah. that candidness is kind of like, "Oh, yeah, yeah it's yeah. okay to admit that." Well, we probably all do. Oh yeah. wait, we all do. <laughs> We're all human. Holy crap, we've solved the universe. Like it's just kind of like this, like. He just has almost been like a paint stripper to the veneer of like all the corny stuff a manager has to be. He's just been Ollie, yeah. and I think it. I think his team. I think his players respect it. I think his coaches respect it. It's not. Um, he doesn't lack. You know, he doesn't. He's the guy in the chair. Like he's making the calls, and we've seen enough of him to know he's not going to back down from from anybody or anything. He carries a, a level of of intensity to it but he doesn't he's not he's never once pretended to be somebody he's not and that can happen in this job yeah and it's we'll not see. happening to him yet no we'll see. yeah 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 he uh in he's Cincinnati. probably listening and getting a big head so we got to come up with some in cincinnati some bad things to say about him in cincinnati he turned to one of the reporters and goes did you think he pitched well and uh and it quickly dawned on the reporter that oh that's not a rhetorical like you know like well what else would you have done? you know like it wasn't a rhetorical question oh, he'll give it back to and, and I goes oh did you think he pitched well why tell me why okay because I'm not thinking that way I'm not thinking this is not how I'm thinking and it was really fascinating because what it was is it was an explanation of did you you think the results were good. But not how he pitched, and it was like this is the question you should ask: Is I, I thought his results were fine, but I don't think he pitched well. I have to look at how a guy pitches. I have to be thankful for the results. Goodness gracious, thank God he got good results, you know. But I can't go say that that way of pitching is going to get those results every time. And that willingness to like 
to challenge, to push back, but then to teach, I think people will respond well to that. Yeah, I think, and I think too, he's also okay with, like, if, in, my, in my situation, I, I would be like, hey, man, if you put that guy in that spot five times and he gets out of it, then maybe that says something about him. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, you know, like, certain guys can, uh, you know, to use a, a wrestling analogy, you put certain guys out there and they can twist out of things where it looks like they're pinned. And at some point, that's not them nearly getting pinned. It's them having a skill. Do we so we and 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 he acknowledges that. So, I mean, that some of that's the Woodford thing has been like a meeting in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's been Woodford doing some of what they've asked, and I think it's also been them being like, "Hey, like and he gets results." So sometimes it's not all of one or the other, and, and I think that any manager who's going to succeed has to find where they are on that spectrum and it shift it it can shift every day but it's it's never black and white it's not it's not it's not baseball is not a black and white sport it's the same reason scouts still are around and they're important mm-hmm. and it's the same reason that that teams that are making fun of analytics are dead and jordan mcbungery becomes available at the trade deadline just out of nowhere just like well, I mean, to bring us full circle here there are certain old school baseball ideas that people can scoff at, and if they scoff at them, then I want to play their team in the postseason. Trading your closer at the deadline when he's effective, that's going to hurt your team. Trading a healthy, performing starter from your rotation when you're trying to win a World Series, even if you're added one, is a bad idea. And two pretty smart teams made, look at us, we're really smart moves, and they haven't worked. Well done. We've used Jake Woodford as an analogy. Football, wrestling, and ZZ Top. ZZ Top. And dropped a little Die Hard in there. Yeah, we got it all. That's Ben Fredrickson, sports columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatcher. You can find all of his work, his Mizzou coverage, his Cardinal coverage, everything, um, including the 17 different podcasts that he does and the two videos, um, one of which is not up for an Emmy. I don't think either are. i got to talk to somebody. I about just that. was – okay, I'm sure. You can find it all at stltoday.com. I was trying to, like, you know – gloss over you, you you do also use like veneer and paint stripping as an analogy that one was brilliant that, that was that, that was for the sedalia listeners that or listener really, that was really good. singular yeah but the wonder dog knew it was coming that's in marshall oh i didn't i'm gonna get that right you know, all those mid-missouri road trips on <laughs> riders block and you didn't even pay attention to which city we were in no, it feels like so long ago. That was that was such a we've done more episodes of best podcast in baseball than we did of our daily radio show. Do you know that? This is the tenth year of it. It's like I've done a thousand episodes of the best podcast in baseball. I did maybe seventy five of our daily radio show. I think ten years is how many years of my life I lost by doing that radio show. That's fair. That's fair. You can find his work at STL Today. You can find all of our constant Cardinal coverage at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. I'm going to speak real fast. I'm talking about micro machines. You can also find the best podcast in baseball anywhere you get your podcasts. It's available on iTunes. Please rate and review and tell me, you know, what you think about the season so far. Not the Cardinal season, the season of, well, whatever. Tell me whatever. We try to make it better. We're planning ahead for 11. So 11th season, not 2011. I'm just going to sign off now. Ben, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for all your analogies and for all your insight. Much appreciated. I will uh, talk to you before the World Series. Yes. Yes, we'll have you back before the World Series. Will we be there? You'll be there no matter what. Will I be there? Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay healthy. Stay informed. Thank you very much. Bye.